Better hungry Horace than a hangry Boris. Borery, not here, but with the value of linking meaningful phonemes, like the gra in unanswering the rational shore to this shore. Egglesey's is not unanswering, is not rational or overly surery. Is it megapixeleptic, worthy of a peek? listening to a Scottish Poetry Library podcast. Hello, this is Jennifer Williams, Program Manager at the Scottish Poetry Library, and I am sitting in space with a very good friend and wonderful poet, Ian Morrison. I'm so pleased we're getting to chat, Ian, because uh, we've been working together on quite a few different projects and known each other for a while, so it's about time we had you here to do a proper podcast interview. That's great, thank you so much for having me. It's really fun to be having a conversation with you under any circumstances, Jennifer. So I'm just going to share a few bits of information about you with our audience. Sure. You have a very collaborative practice and I think when I first met you in a way it was through your work at the Fruit Market Gallery where you have your day job. So mm-hmm. Um, and you organize events there and work with audiences in different ways. So um, I've always thought of you as someone who's very much, you know, one foot at least in the art world and a poet and interested in music and other things as well. You're a wonderful performer and I've seen you give extraordinary performances uh, in a variety of different contexts and uh, that involves both live literature and live art and projects have included the sung staging of texts Uh, by women beat generation writers, a lecture presentation and performance with classical musicians for New Media, Scotland Syndicate Series, and Subject Index, a durational installation of the complete poems of Emily Dickinson, uh, developed in residency at Ford Center Plus and toured to Berlin's Sound Out, a new ways of presenting literature festival in May 2014. And you've also been having an increasing number of publications popping up, which is wonderful, including work in serial publications such as Hoax, So Anyway, and Scree, and most recently, I think, in Burning Sand. Yeah, which is a great one to be in. I love the production of that. Such a beautiful publication. Yeah, from Um, Good Press and Glasgow. Yeah, it's really wonderful one. All, all good publications to be recommended. <laughs> and I should just briefly mention that one wonderful thing that we got to work on together uh, recently was the Drag Queen event as part of the Scottish Poetry Library program, live program. Yeah, yeah. Which was really, I think, one of our most well-attended and <laughs> uh, well-remembered events of that season and that was with some other poets as well and that was very collaborative and involved film and Skype and drag queens yeah, and a bit of movement on the, movement. the new ballet and the bourgeois library. Yes, yeah, music, yeah. all sorts of things. So that was a very special experience for us. So great fun for me to do as well. But without further ado, what I would like to do is have you kick off with a reading and then we'll chat a bit. Cool. Well the first thing I was going to read um, is from a new series that I'm experimenting with at the moment, um, where, like you said, um, I'm cross-disciplinary in my interests, and working for an art gallery, I spend a lot of time listening to talks by artists, 
and it's had me thinking recently about um, a question I've never had an answer for for myself, which is how do you behave in a lecture to get the most out of what's being said to you? And I realised I got all the way through my undergrad degree without ever really knowing what I was meant to do in a lecture, so I spent a lot of time sort of writing things, thinking, is, is this right? Is this, is this going to help me in my exam or whatever? Um, so um, recently it was, I, I came across this great um, anthology of conceptual writing by women called I'll Drown My Book, um, which I believe you've got on my shelves at the library. That's right. Um, and one of the poets in that, um, Leanne Brown, talks about how in some of her writing practice she kind of puts herself in situations where she's physically, um, not compromised exactly, but affected in some way, and then will write on them, and then do something with the writing that she makes. Um, and it relates a little bit to, um, there's a great um, trans poet called C.A. Conrad, I'm not sure if you've come across um, their work, but... Um, they, they, they do some poetry called somatics poetry, where they're basically like looking at how different physical conditions affect the writing. Um, anyway, she, she was writing in like rock concerts and things, so I thought, well, maybe I can use that physical constraint of being in a lecture room and writing just continuously and see mm. what comes out. So I've been experimenting with that, um, and what I'm coming out with is sort of something that feels like a staging of the encounter between my ability to apprehend something and the content that's making its way into the language of the person presenting and just sort of try I'm, I'm just really interested in that interface to kind of answer the question for myself as, as to you know, what happens when they listen to someone giving a talk so um, this one is called 24416 so 24th of April 2016 Edinburgh College of Art Helen Douglas The field of books and their publishing has really exploded in the past few years. Small press collections, a primary place to place your ideas and emotions, and how it goes on. You have poet N. Schull. You self-realise in private, in a quiet space, like Mary Queen of Scots, the page itself and its cast company shadow, architectural, used as a cupboard, also, it's thinking, chilled, running down the spine, curlicue. Thinking of a whole book with the turn of the page, you get into sequence, ye calm. You're looking this way, you're looking that way. Lay these texts out across pages, something that I could book scale. I cross pages with cluttery hard words. This is kinesthetic, this is moving. The discourse became the paper in the book, the manuscript I made. Finally here, supposed to have been, by the skin of my long, big sentence, can be opened out. Codex conception, scroll. The act was refused. It's so beautiful, I teach it. I used the page, in a sense, to evoke the pastoral, but I began to see the space Helen keeps throwing back to the physical, peeking through the scene's mistress, a passionate shepherd unproblematized in a monostructural space. I'd never have put it that way myself. Helen divided the page. You're looking this way, you're looking that way. There is another way of doing time I can't go into. Maybe these speech traces out. 
The peeling of paper vaju conserves a freshness to explore the subject. Think book. So this is, I think, in some ways, challenge. There are some things that I would call like Morrison-esque in this poem. Cool. <laughs> there are, I think, something that you. There's a wonderful insertion there by the skin of my space. Long big sentence space can be opened up. Slightly saucy, but <laughs> suggestive, but also uh, it, it feels very evocative to me of, I don't know, putting the kind of physicality of the body sitting in the lecture room back into mm -hmm. the text. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. But I'd be curious to hear you talk a little bit about the actual process, how much of this is quotation or how much of it is is it just totally a response coming from your mind while sure. listening to the lecture? And also about the placement on the page, because it's hard for people listening to know this, but though you will have heard it, I think, in some of the pacing of the way Ian read it, but the words are very carefully placed over the um, open field of the page. Yeah, um, well, that was exciting to hear your response being that you got a sense of the body being placed in the text that I was reading the words of that because in some ways Helen Douglas who is the, the book artist that I'm working from here is, is, is an ideal person to kind of start with, with that project with because she talks very much about the implication of the physical body in the act of reading a physical book <laughs> um, and one of the things that I find exciting about her work is that she's always thinking about um, the kind of the, the physical way that the eye can rest on a page, the way that it's moved across by kind of something she's dealing with the form. You hear me in this talking quite a lot about the the architectural form of the book, um, or um, the the way in which uh, that you know the book scale being something which we can meet at a certain size. Um, so I'm, I'm excited that 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 came across, and I guess for me it'll be interesting to see what happens when I'm writing about someone who doesn't have those similar somatic concerns. With this, I started by transcribing everything that I'd scribbled down in my notebook at the time, and then laid it out on the page, you know, like so it was a dense block of text, and then worked on it, I guess, almost like it was a ground, like a sort of painted ground, mm -hmm. sort of excising things, moving things to the left and right. And with this, an idea kind of emerged from something that she said, um, which is to do with uh, what I was just talking about, where she said, you're looking this way, you're looking that way. And I thought, that's kind of a nice hook that comes twice about the way that literally, like, you know, the body is angled in a certain way and then you experience a move to, to look at the other page. So literally this division between the page, so that so the, the columns start to kind of become more um, divided, like on the, on the page, you can see how it kind of starts to, to fall into the order. So to the extent that that's what she's talking about, that's that's something I'm trying to mimic, but also through editing the text and thinking about it further, I let it find the form that it ends up. And I in. love that even the some of the words you're using to talk about editing this text-based poem mm -hmm. are what I would call words from art practice or painting practice. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Which speaks again to your interests and background. And did you, uh, is, is any of this found words in a way, f taken directly from the lecture, or is it yeah, all... Um, well, there, are, there, are, there are some, so 
the scene's mistress. I think that was actually something that Helen was talking about having visited a, um, a, a, a sewing studio somewhere in London and like looking through the door to see the scene's mistress. Um, so sometimes these things are um, are what the person says, but also what, mm. I, what, what I think I'm trying to do is to notice how it sets off thoughts of myself. So in my notes, there'll be a couple of sentences that the person I'm listening to has said, and then that will set me off thinking. And I find it's quite a thrilling feeling, actually, that I'm getting, where I didn't think there was time to think while you were listening, but I'm realising what apparently there is, um, that somehow there's kind of almost out-of-time experience that I have in those contexts where I kind of just sort of go off on a little train, and then somehow once I've finished that, managed to kind of slot back into listening to, to where the speakers got to at that point. So I guess what I'm learning about my listening process is that it's less passive than I would have thought had I not tried to chart it with words in this way. And, you know, it makes me think, because I had done, actually for you at the Fruit Market, some yeah, more kind yeah, of yeah. note-taking poetry or art response poetry for the um, mm -hmm. Louise Bourgeois show mm -hmm. we did an all-nighter, and mm -hmm. I was writing throughout the night and trying to make work from that. Yeah. And you've continued with that, with your work with Catherine Street. And yeah, and kind of yeah. responding. Um, but I, I think, I'm curious about, because I've, so what you were talking about at first, that idea of all through your undergraduate, you were writing things in a notebook and taking notes, but you weren't necessarily sure what you were doing or achieving yeah, in that exactly. process, which I totally relate to. Mm. And what I found when I started doing a little bit of this kind of exploration was that it made me remember just as well, if not even better, the experience of the lecture than I think had I just been taking Mm. like really straight up lecture notes or something you know that yes. idea of actually my some creative part of my brain being engaged as well while i'm yes. responding to an artwork or an experience yes. Yes. i think actually yes. somehow uh burns it even more deeply into my brain um yeah. but yeah I, I so i think i guess just to say i, I think that's a very exciting experiment and yeah probably I feel like we should tell all undergraduate students to write poems yeah. during their lectures. Yeah, yeah. and they can write whatever they want while it's happening, but they might still remember more. You know, I guess you have to pay some sort of attention, mm -hmm. but paying attention isn't being slavish, uh, in a way. I, I think one other thing that I just wanted to say about it was that I'm very keen, because I, in, in this series, and in the series, that there's going to be the names of the people from whom I was taking note. Um, I'm very keen not to put words in their mouth or, or kind of like seem like I'm doing that. So it's important to me this to not kind of create a false impression that, you know, Helen Douglas said this where mm. she didn't say it. So I, I'm, I'm finding that sort of ethically interesting just because there's, there's nothing about what I'm doing that wants to, you know, make people uncomfortable um, with that, but it's more to try and capture an act of listening attention. Yeah, that's wonderful. And I think it's interesting because I, uh, you know, I think there is um, this kind of work is a development or I would say very under, falls under a very big umbrella of ekphrastic writing in a way. So, you know, tr maybe a very traditional definition of ekphrastic writing would be looking at an artwork and, and writing a poem yeah. in response to that artwork. Yeah. And I hadn't thought about it so much. Mm. In, in, in that way, that's so, so interesting that you're saying that. Yeah, no, I, I just think in that, I mean, obviously, poems often are start with a spark of inspiration or are generated by 
an observation or an experience that the poet wants to respond to and capture poetically. But it, it feels to me that part of, I guess I've been doing a lot of thinking about this idea of ekphrasis and what that means to absorb an artwork in some way and then re, I, I don't want to say regurgitate, that sounds unpleasant, but yeah. you know, give that back out yeah, of yourself, process it yeah. through yourself and, and bring it back out in another form. Um, yeah. which is poetry mm -hmm. and so for me I think I've started to think about ekphrastic writing as that not just like I will write a poem about a rainbow over a city because I'm looking at a painting of a rainbow over a city but to be more about the that it's about talking about the experience of seeing an artwork yeah. and responding to it and, and from that point of view I think frees you up a little bit of that feeling of having to be authentic or having some responsibility to the thing because yeah. it's more about your experience of the thing rather than the, that you're trying to reproduce yeah. the thing itself. Yeah, um, yeah I, mean, I, think, I think definitely in terms of something that's um, aware of the extent to which the person transmitting the poem is someone who's experiencing and who is limited by virtue of being a human being, which we all are. Where I feel like one removed from the kind of ekphrastic process is because I'm interested in starting with language, uh, how, how we experience language as a starting point, so to respond to the experience of hearing language with written language, there's, there's something slightly pretty different from that. Mm. But I don't know what it is yet, but I'm yeah, yeah. working it out. Okay, great, I like it. <laughs> Okay, so that's an ongoing project. Mm -hmm. So we will. Uh, yeah, the, the project's called Art Talk Notes. That's oh, the working title. So nice. And I think that this would be a good time to move on to our next poem. Sure. So that was kind of a more conceptual end of things, I suppose. Um, this one um, is kind of a sort of <laughs> more traditional kind of love poem. Is it still a love poem if it's a, if it's a after the event? <gasps> is that a love poem? I don't know. I was just having a similar conversation. My partner and I were watching Game of Thrones oh, and okay. there's a, a someone who dies and comes back to life who's murdered. And I said, are the murderers still murderers if the body comes back it's, to life? Yeah. Is a love poem still a love poem if the relationship has, has ended, yeah. I think it still is, because I think it was written mm. from that point of view, you know. Yeah. They, they killed the guy. <laughs> Just because it comes back to life doesn't mean they didn't <laughs> anyway. well, 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 this poem, um, I'm also pleased, is, is being included in a book that's coming out with great marvellous publishers um, that Claire Skew and Russell Jones have edited. Um, they were asking poets to um, submit poems from different areas of Edinburgh and this is something I've been wanting to write um, after a walk that I've done um, and it stretched a little bit, it was to South Queen's Ferry which for those of you who know the geography of Edinburgh is a little bit further outside the city than perhaps it ought to be but they've, they've selected it for inclusion so I guess, I guess it's good <laughs> enough <laughs> to, make, to make an exception for it. South Queen's Ferry, rock, lover, Leaving Ritual. Passing the trip on Grinder on the train reminded me of when the European faces two-tiered in curious languages stacked up 
set out to me, but I didn't come back that way. Whistle, stop, why not, as a package tour, dull many, many misses of you, because of when you were here at Dalmeny Station, crawful of emptied silence, only being backfilled. The memento rock inferring a hole in my delft left pocket. At the shore, ghoster, tidy returns, your presence along, coasted ahead, and always insistent back note. Who passed just now would have seen us walk. A step returning the rock, ringed emotion in place I am swept for, hand location-based to loosen and not clench around the space laboratory of it. Smoke, pass same factory building, plainly symbolise pain. The fourth sucks off the family shoes I shed in this calmed, cyclical, supportive piers go up, not quite under my chassis. A rock swap? How an attractive boy walks by I wish to be walking into. Arm smells, woody here and a bit fewer, but brain homing, a humming I'd forgotten in now to the rocks, to the choice made not to progress. Where the pipeline is, keep walking, grass and rack, the same ground given over thresholds of nicotine, sickness, no weed to share with you. Sorry for the ash in your rock pool, my gentleman walking, my megafauna. Rock back, the housing wasn't fitting, undulating blue parallelograms, throwing to beach the beach-combed stone. I thank for you the gods of the gays and the Scots and the broader Celts and Kelps. Bear mermaid, steer on one line municipal, don't present with me at the rock depot. This ended, and to know it was here, stand, the colour fade of the sands drying. This is this feels like it's got a real narrative running through it and it's, there are all these beautiful complex descriptions that I think really pull you in and you start to really feel like there's a very intimate little scenario that you're witnessing. And at the same time I feel like you, you often write it, you know, as we've mentioned a bit before, but it's a very there's a complexity to the language, it's uh, very honed and intricately described. Uh, how do you how do you write? Do you do you write a lot and then cut it down? Yeah, um, for this piece uh, and increasingly actually, I start with something that feels quite like a journal entry. And on this occasion, while making the walk to return back to the shore, a rock that I collected when I was with a lover, I wrote during the whole walk. So I was kind of at first like. I looked really odd doing this because I was sort of walking along holding a notebook, sort of like, you know, scribbling away. But then it became part of the catharsis that I wanted to have. Um, so I just kept going and I came up with sort of, you know, 
16 pages of text um, that I then transcribed and then I looked for a pattern and in this case something emerged these little three line stanzas that are quite truncated quite um, stunted or something in a way and mm -hmm. um, quite gnomic maybe and um, that, that I then kind of like set as my formal challenge for how I was going to arrive at the poem and then something else that I enjoy doing is something that I got from my love of Emily Dickinson which is to have semi sort of standalone phrases that could syntactically link to something either preceding or follow them but might not quite make it easy for you to parse them that way and um, so with these there, there are these kind of almost sort of beach coded phrases or something that are sitting there almost with a kind of you know flow going through them but one that's quite choppy i suppose Yes, which is interesting because again, it's it's wonderful to hear you talk about it in another totally other way, but that you're really somehow bringing the physical experience of being a writer or a poet into the the creation of the poem, yeah. which always happens. But I feel like you're doing it in a in a specific way. Yeah. Uh, well, well, certainly by kind of trying to kind of let the ritual dictate the words. Because I I, know, I remember writing I think some other poem back. I, I talked about like what happens when you're writing on a train and someone sits down next to you, like it changes. Like maybe the writing gets smaller because you're like, oh, I don't want to see what I'm writing. <laughs> or maybe you kind of like censor yourself in a sort of funny way just by the presence of having someone else around you. So there was definitely something in this world about me confronting like a sort of public feeling of loneliness or something. Mm -hmm. And like what, what it's like to be here writing something that almost kind of I will have these feelings and I'm not going to kind of let the polite German cyclists <laughs> lessen the impact of my sadness or something. Yeah, there's something about like, writing as a way of anchoring your experience in a space that might have lots of other things going on. And yeah, I love as well that, that formal challenge you set yourself of these these little, almost haiku-like yeah. stanzas. Yeah. That is evocative of how you describe the experience of writing, you know, taking a few steps on the beach and writing some notes and a few steps and writing some mm -hmm. notes. And in a funny way, that feels to me also like that, you know, if you do have a, a big emotional experience that you're trying to recover from, emotions can come like that, can't they? They have little little packages of emotions mm -hmm. you have to work through almost. Yeah, I, I like the, the form thing like that. It lets you kind of have subtle changes in tone throughout it, mm -hmm. so there's points where I let myself become a little bit whimsical or something, and it's mm -hmm. like, it's nice to be able to do that, to do that. Um, and then sort of, hopefully, that, maybe that feels like quite a traditional thing, to kind of have, have the kind of a hard-hitting bit, and then relieved by something a bit more kind of mm -hmm. playful or something. I really love Delft Left Pocket, which you have to be careful how you say it, but uh, even looking at it on the page, it's got all this, all, all the letters are linked to one another somehow in the sounds. It's wonderful. So again, there's that kind of playfulness of language and, and exactly what you're talking about. It's, it's able to, you could say, like the waves, <laughs> the up and down, and it's, <laughs> and it's uh, engagement so. with the, the material. 
And do you, so I'm curious to ask you a bit, seeing as you brushed up a bit about your relationship with Emily Dickinson. Oh, and yeah, for sure. How you found her and what her influence on, on I mean, you has been. Yeah, I, I mean, for me, she was someone that kind of stood out from school teaching. Um, I had a really inspirational English teacher who's also a, a poet called Henry Marsh. Um, he's still working, doing interesting sequences around Mary Queen of Scots and John Knox. Yeah, he's great. Um, and um, he was so enthusiastic about Emily Dickinson that it kind of, well, I wouldn't say it rubbed off me, but he certainly created the space for me to have an encounter with her work. Um, and I remember like, having that thick um, volume, the Johnson collected um, poems that Faber have, um, and just kind of carrying it around with me for years, you know, since I was a teenager onwards. And at a certain point, I realised that I wanted to really have the experience of reading all of her work, because I'd been treating it a bit like the I Ching or something, like, you know, like dipping in for an answer. <laughs> <laughs> um, and and that, that's how that performance that you mentioned in the introduction came about, where I read all the poems in, in that particular volume. I mean, I think with her body of work, there's all this kind of New fragments, sort of like that, have an interesting status about whether or not they're part of the complete poems or not, or how, how you categorize. But certainly, reading um, however many, I think it's like 1700 and something, um, over five days, uh, and I found that great as well because there's something in her work that is mysterious um, because of the way that she lets abstract nouns. Um, like infinity or, or something, just kind of sit there. But through reading all of the poems, I started to spot. It was almost like doing an Emily Dickinson Sudoku. You could see, oh, like she's using this word. It's a bit more clear what she means there. So if you take that meaning of whatever word it is, like infinity being an example, and then slot it into another ah. poem, then that kind of unlocks the next bit, and then you can maybe sort of. So that she's teaching you her own way of using yeah, language. I think so. And then there's another great thing that I mentioned because uh, anyone who loves Emily Dickinson I think might get something out of it is there's a, a, an online site with all the definitions from the dictionary that she used um, which kind of leans towards more mystical and religious definitions so often it can help you to understand what she might have been thinking of as primary definitions of TAS or, or not. Um, and, and, and that site, I think it's um, the Emily Dickinson lexicon if you can oh, Google that, it comes up. Yeah. Yeah, I think you you mentioned something about the kind of the, the PC and what is and isn't talked about um, in things, and I think that in, in this poem it's fair to say that I think there's a lot of, of kind of my experience as a gay man being sort of like slipping its way into the into the poem, um, and that felt like I mean partly I think I, I thought this would be a good moment to do that because I know that Russell and Claire were keen to have representation from. Uh, LGBTQ voices in the anthology and sometimes and you might have had this experience as well I don't know writing about sexual experiences as a woman or something where you can feel like oh that's not a polite poem for this context or something or other but, but, but I like that there's more spaces being created not least by us and what we're doing to, to allow non mainstream experiences of life <laughs> it, it, into the discourse. I mean, that's kind of like, I think what poetry should be doing all the time anyway, because no one wants a sort of averaged out what you expect in a poem. poem. Um, 
But, but, but I just noticed that when I was reading it just now, that even I kind of slightly have that kind of like, is it okay to say like the gods of the gays? And I'm like, yes it is, it's definitely okay to say that. You know, like if Autumn can talk about the household gods or something, then I'm, I'm going to riff on that. And, you know. Absolutely, and I'm so pleased that you brought it up because I was trying to figure out if it was okay to just ask you about <laughs> that, but we were just having that conversation earlier. But yeah, I think it's so valuable and important and, you know, on platforms such as this one and the, in publication and that uh, people are given that space and freedom to talk about their experience and their love and their love making in all different ways and forms because uh, for such a long time those things have been edited out. And yeah, and it's something that I want to be confident and open-ended about, about the way that I, that I present my experience, but I don't want to fall into that kind of occluding my experience under a kind of mist of euphemism or something, because that's, that's not useful. It, it seems to me there's kind of two processes that can happen. There's a kind of the thing where you do a generous act with your own experience, which is to try to transfigure it into something that might be of function or use to another reader, so it's not kind of self-indulgent, um, but that, that equally doesn't flinch from the truth of your experience. And there's another kind of like frothier kind of veiling, which which is just kind of silly that can happen, I think, in some poems where you find that people are just really what's going on is a shying away from what you want to say. So I, so I guess I'm aware of like wanting to kind of fall into the former camp. Well, so uh, I think you know what I mean because with some writing that probably gets lumped into kind of a confessional strand, you can see that all that's happening in the poem is that it's just telling you how the person feels about something. Um, and for me, the poem always needs to do more than that. But you know, there's lots of ways that I'm trying to do more than that. But I will start with my experience because I acknowledge that that's probably the only place that I think I can start. Mm -hmm. It is political in as much as I'm, I'm recognising the world that I want to see um, and that I think we're lucky enough in Scotland at the moment to begin to see, which is a place where um, the LGBT experience is not just allowed but kind of celebrated at the centre of political life. And that, you know, it was great in the recent Pride March to see um, politicians from all the the major Scottish parties um, talking. I mean, even the UK MP is openly gay. You know, it's kind of like, <laughs> it was this hilarious kind of situation there. So, yeah, I, 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 I guess I want to kind of in some way, just in moments like that, that that's maybe what I mean about just allowing things that, that seem a bit clearer, that, that seem to record now, what's happening now, how I feel now, what, what a possible aspiration for me to have now is in the poem and not be shy of that. Great. I think it's very brave and honourable and good. As you know, we could talk all day. We could talk all day. Uh, yes. But yeah. I know it's a it's actually a beautifully sunny, kind of nice, this is probably our Scottish summer today. Yeah, it's the yeah, nicest good. day of the year. It's been so a good year for Scottish summer. It's so, at least three times. <laughs> I think this is um, a wonderful, perfect day for this poem, <laughs> which is called Sunny Sutra. So, yeah, it's a kind of it's a, a bit of a follow-on from another wonderful mm. poem you'd written, which was another sutra poem. So is there a sutra collection? Yeah. A sutra series? 
I think what's happening is that, that I've, I've settled on this this term, Sutra, which I haven't read enough Ginsberg or... Yeah, I was going to say, it's kind of Ginsberg. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I've kind of loosely borrowed it from those contexts. Like, it's, I think it was at Sunflower Sutra, I think there's one by... But basically, like, for me, what this Sutra form is turning out to be is a way, at certain points, of, like, pulling back a bit and looking at quite a messy set of experiences uh, probably that have been captured over a couple of notebooks and a few months, um, and then trying to kind of sharpen them and pull them together into like a loose, um, multi-part poetic form. Um, so this Sunny Sutra, um, you mentioned the other one, the other one was Birthday Sutra, which I wrote on my 35th birthday, and I really enjoyed that process of doing that. And this one um, I wrote uh, for a trip that I made last month to Orkney, I went up with some friends to a very small island um, festival, um, kind of community festival on Egglesley, um, and I was aware that one of the things that happened at this community festival was that people shared their, their work, what they did, and there was a lot of folk musicians, amazing folk musicians there, um, like the Gillespie brothers, and God, I loved, I loved the guy's voice, it was to die for. <laughs> but um, the idea for this one is that it kind of pulls together stuff, um, and thinking about the experience of being up in this constant sun, um, which barely sets an orchid for the solstice. So it's called Sunny Sutra. It's got nine parts, so you can pace your listening. One. But as with John Dunn, but as with Frank O'Hara, it's a lie. A lie someone needs to tell, may it be Mobby and Mappy and Bobby and Rob Bibimap, the Chanticleer. They would all come here too, but we fence them out. Or maybe they wouldn't. It's too corn-craky. We think us corny crakes. I say we supposition by presumption. But here it's the only way to start stealing annuity and to hope to stay in one full circle of the long-to-vanish sun. I'm so grateful for your heated body map that, like mine, has years to go to give its hotness up. 2. I mean, I have another one of the same design already. If I feel fine, that's good. After all, this is day two after the first craniosacral massage. It was earlier this evening, actually. I'm not sure why I lied about that. But it was so much better than I could have expected. First time already, good effect on the bowel where things I can't get on the NHS, and she said as much, while also pointing out some things that were good. She showed me a hip hitch and talked about various muscles. There was a question about whether her lack of confidence in her own ability to hold a relationship was holding her professional effectiveness back. Did she not take herself seriously? She presented quite girlish and innocent in that way, despite having a stunning knowledge of body my arms are sore from it, though she didn't touch my arms. She said I might have a hangover feeling. Apparently there was a problem with my iliopsoas. I believe all this. My body is working much better. It's one that hasn't been worked on very much. She's seeing the funny side. Also, she knew that I had been stressed. It came out that that was about my father having nearly died, and the tears rolled down my cheeks and I felt woozy. Maybe I should drink even more water. My lower back feels warm. She said she felt my sacrum sinking. 
I feel like it's moving from a lost to a memory feeling. It's a good use of my £45, and we agree on that. I'm tired. Visa's coming soon. I might go to France. Maybe through subversion, mask has become less of an impactful category. I'm having a sleep. Chris Krauss said, I have a lovely energy. 3. Calcellate, carcinovate, considerate, calarcinerate, systems, not machines because not that fashioned. Sutras, poems of occasional, read at times which are propitiate. Sunny Sutra, the long poem about the sun in which I know how to say things and think like a fire poet. It's not the form of the 3am walks or of the dancing preceding them, the partnering after. The form is the form of being togetherers. One night clubbing with a younger lover, we weren't meeting, going to the toilet, some guys are being really enthusiastic about another guy who's wearing a kilt, about how he'd come clubbing on a whim. Enthusiasm for a spontaneous, misfit, chance-taker. Visible as any of those things, a black dude in spandex older than me stands out. I chose his category. I don't think I was clocked by him as being in. Elton John feels humiliated, I get it. 4. After the second massage, I feel like the flute that's been cleaned. Fully, I had one triangle of chocolate to see if it figured out for me as well that I might have had two. What else do I like? I have one family portrait. How will I know if the second square would be as good? Here, I transfigured two sickness feelings in a middle feeling with recourse to either the Berlin Hof structured on one side with its night space where I could be met with anyone as an entity bringing drags, or the space of a simple youth dusk aloneness, maybe at a craft cafe somewhere. A stone crumbling because of the sea, this language falls to us, and we don't reject it. It's very sad for us. On demand, it performs sadness. The just lovers circle, incapable, I guess because they're inescapable as me, the way I lack it, exactly these four planes, which were bravura man, and me living as the songs I would have written for the pet shop boys had they let me. Five. I asked for you gave me. I asked for reliability. You gave me not enough. I asked for sex. You gave me continence. I asked for the same. You gave me a change. It's okay, I thought, if I stopped asking. It never ended. The mismatch my energy seems designed to initiate. Snap. Snap. Snap yet? I ask for sun. You give me drama, panorama. Sometimes the thing you're looking for is in the tent already, even if it's a philosopher's astrakhan hat. Better a hungry Horus than a hangry Boris. Bordery, not here, but with the value of linking meaningful phonemes, like the gra in unanswering the rational shore to this shore. Egglesey's is not unanswering is not rational or overly sure of me. Is it megapixeleptic, worthy of a peak?
6. After the last of the three massages, everything booted off in a bad way. You chatted about this today with your new friend Isaac and with Kat, and Raoul of course, and Jean-Francois. The crazy low feeling followed by argumentative, followed by getting trashed at palms and thrown out practically in your socks. The bruised body, the chipped tooth. What rough route through were you contemplating? Not being your own excluder in any way? The sick smelling of rosemary fries the next day, your communal stare. Will you go back for more release? 7. After the mass age. The sun comes for all of us. The sun comes for all. For all that the sun comes for, it comes. For us, sun-comers, the sun comes. For the sun corners all of us, a sun for all corners, and all of the sun for all of the corners. For we, in our sun corners, the sun cornerers are cornered. The sun covers us. The sun covers all of us, covers for us. The sun covers for all. For all the sun covers for us as uncoverers, the sun covers for us. The sun colours us, colours all of us. The sun colours us all, all the sun colours. For us a sun caller, for two dozen sun callers ours. The sun scunners at us, the sun scunners at all of us, the sun scunners at us all. For all that the sun scunners at us, the sun scunnered at, the sun comes. 8. It may encourage us at the best of ways. Something in the Poets' Theatre event, something in being massaged, brought me into my soulit self, in an useful, in an irrefutable way. It's light now, at I guess about 10 o'clock in the evening when I'm writing this, and will be lighter still next week in Orkney, when I'm sitting there relaxed or maybe lonely. Why not both? Both sun signs are entirely possible. The boy I met tonight is not my manifest destiny, I think. Is not, he is not the sweat that rises up in me like a too sweet froth when I apply heat to my lower back and work now, sitting up in bed under the eve, writing this cramped in another way, and that was some many other things else, and now to select, if there's time, what for all of you to read. At altitude, sunned relentlessly, the sun has swelled us and smelled us in fields, heading into the long grasses in retreat like the corn crakes. My teeth will be fixed, my sight will be fixed, we are temporarily rebalancing before the glare on this low land makes claims on us. 9. A good Toblerone, your own Toblerone, lasts for a long time. A walk through the door so nicely left open don't mean you won't jar it, be asked politely to leave again soon. We live with some stick though, don't we? And some person, you, you don't panic. Impresses me, but I wasn't sure what to do about any of the things you told me what to do about. It's funny, valid funny, if you see George's stretched red pants when you go to say hi to him. The song of the Krexbergs makes it into an imposter or even prettier one. Peaceful, now you have the dates lined up. 
the peace of having decided something to do with the sun comes across happy-going. Scottish Poetry Library podcast. For further information about the Scottish Poetry Library, visit our website at www.scottishpoetrylibrary.org.uk, follow us on Twitter at By Leaves We Live, and find us on Facebook.